0: Whew, good to see you, Brian. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 6, and I'm going to try and uh, talk normal now. My voice gets shaky when I'm nervous. I'm trying to come down off of that a little bit. All right, anyways, so tonight we're going to talk about kind of a, a hot topic, I guess you could say. You hear about it all the time. Um, Great meetings and, you know, these mighty movements sweeping across the nation and yada, yada, yada. Sounds good. So we're going to talk tonight about pursuing revival, right? Pursuing revival. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And so I want to start, actually, with the definition of revival for you. So I looked it up because it's one of those things which I know what it means because I've heard it used, people talk about it, but I figured I'd look up formal definitions for us, and there's quite a few. A couple that I really liked, however, was revival is a new production of an old play or similar work, okay? So you're reviving something that's been done before or doing something like it. Revival can also be a reawakening of religious fervor." All right, so we're getting a little closer. A reawakening of religious fervor, or it can be a restoration to bodily or mental vigor, to life or consciousness, or success. Hmm, interesting definitions, right? So here's the thing. Everybody wants revival. You hear all this stuff about our nation needs revival. We need to pray for revival. We want to see revival. All these things. You know what? That's great. I would agree. I think our nation needs revival. I think the churches need revival. I think the whole world needs revival. And guess what? In 50 years, we're going to need it again. But here's the thing about revival. Where does revival start? Ah, there you go. Everybody do this. Revival starts here. Revival starts here. Right? Anybody ever seen, um, walked outside and seen the, the, the sky just covered in black smoke? And you look out, and there's helicopters going, and there's EMS trucks, maybe not EMS, maybe, I don't know. All kinds of fire trucks and stuff going. You look up, and there's an entire hillside just in blazes. I've seen it several times. In fact, one year, um, my parents live way out towards Mountain Home, out on Junction Highway. And one year, we weren't sure if we were going to have to, like, try and get everything out of our house because the fire was so huge. It had devastated ranches and homes, and it was just spreading, well, like a wildfire. That's what it does. And it's interesting. You know how crazy forest fires and things like that usually start? You know how houses get burnt down? (laughs) One spark. One flame, one match. That's it. That's all it takes. Revival's the same way. It starts here. So it's not fair to say, I want revival if you're not willing to be that one flame. Revival has to start here. And so I actually pulled up some lyrics from a song that I really like. I haven't heard it in a while, but it's a song called It Starts With Me by Tim. Timmons. So I would, I would recommend if you haven't heard that to on your way home tonight, look up. It starts with me. It's a great song. And some of the words are this. What can I do to leave a legacy? How can I speak with authority when I can't see you? When I can't see you? How can I know the dreams you have for me? How do I believe beyond what I have seen when I can't hear you and I can't feel you now? He goes on in the chorus to say, you're my revival song. And you start where I belong, on my knees, on my knees. And at the end of that chorus, he finishes it with, oh, it starts with me. It's one of my favorite songs. Uh, it gets me, uh, gets me a little choked up, man, because when I, when I heard that song, I was going going through, uh, I don't even, honestly, I don't remember what I was going through. I just remember how it felt. Right. And I was going through a time where, man, I was crying my heart out. Not maybe not literally crying, but crying my heart out in, in praise and in worship as I was singing the song. And so I think this is very applicable because what we see in Acts, though, it's not necessarily revival. It is the revival, Right. It hasn't been done before. There is no re. Um, what we're seeing in Acts is actually the source of vitality. OK, we're we're looking at the birth of the church and we're looking at it, though, as our target for revival. What is it that Jesus did? What is it that Jesus left the apostles to do to start? What are the what are the uh, the principles that they left for us to walk in as the foundation of the church body that has been being built ever since? Right. What are those things? So we've been looking at an explosive church at, a, at a, <laughs> a crazy, magnificent church beginning in the book of Acts. And tonight, we're going to take a little bit of the story. We're going to think about what we've been reading and what we're going to read. And we're going to have to realize that it is that old work that we want to reproduce. Or it is that old work that we want to have something similar happen in our life. But here's the thing. We're going to draw something out of this story. And that is there are four things, four things that you need in your life to start revival in your own heart. Okay, four things. And if you can start a revival in your own heart, remember it takes one spark, one match, one flame to cover a city, to cover the hillsides with fire. Those four things that we're going to look at towards the end of our message, middle of our message, whatever, is very simple, but it's important. Four things is knowing the word, believing the promises, knowing the spirit, and advancing, it's very important, advancing in obedience. So we'll, we'll come back to that. First of all, though, we're going to look at this through the example and the character of Stephen. So join me in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, which we covered last week, but we're going to cover it just briefly again. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned to the uh, the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, we talked about this last week, so we're not going to dig in too much, but we're going to look at Stephen. It's interesting that they're giving a list of, hey, here are the men that were brought forth to be deacons, basically is what they are, to be servants of the church, right? So we talked about that. Deacon really isn't a fancy thing. We've made it fancy. It's not. Um, They've brought him forth, but it's interesting. They list Stephen as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, And when they're giving the uh, requirements of the type of men they want brought before them, they say, uh, back in verse, what is that? Three, I believe. Seek out from among you men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. So if nothing else, we know that Stephen met those requirements. He had a good reputation inside and outside the church, as it says in 2 Timothy. He was full of wisdom. And obviously he was full of the Spirit. And we talked about that those are basic requirements for deacons, but really those should be basic foundational things in all of our lives. All of our lives. We should all be, if we're following Christ, we should all be people that people see and give a good report and good testimony about. Shall should all have good character. If we're growing in the word, that should bear fruit and we should all be people of wisdom. God gives that to those who ask, right? And if we're walking in wisdom, if we have good character, if we're seeking the Lord daily, then naturally, naturally, we should be men and women that people go, man, that guy, that guy, or that gal has the spirit. We can see it in him, right? So it's kind of our aim that we wanna be in that type of place. But here's the thing, other than this, okay, we kind of know this, they've told us. Who was Stephen? Who's Stephen? Stephen's Stephen's a nobody. Right? Sorry. <laughs> biblically speaking, biblically speaking, who is Stephen? Where was he before this? He was a dude amongst the the disciples, just like everybody else right, just like everybody else, wasn't anybody special, he's not an apostle, he's not a famed teacher, right, he probably, you know, didn't grow up under the head Pharisee, like Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul, did, who is, who's Stephen, it's very interesting, because I feel like I can connect with that guy, because who is Darren, freaking nobody, man, Some dude from Ingram had long hair, wore trip pants, never did anything great, got arrested sometimes, whatever, nobody, who are you, right? Yet God called Stephen to a greater purpose, and God puts that good character, put that wisdom, put that power of his own spirit into him. There's nothing that Stephen did you know? Anything that I could claim, that I could try to claim in my life, God has given me and empowered me and blessed me with. Outside of that, man, I ain't got nothing. I got nothing. You should see my artwork at school. It's pitiful. No, it's all right, but that's a different point. Anyways, but he's picked out of his group because God has given him character. He's given him wisdom. He's given him his fullness of his spirit, and so they ordain him as a servant of the church, as a deacon. And you know the glory of his deaconhood was to go serve widows. Praise God. Go serve widows. Wonderful work. But it's interesting, we saw last week that as not only the church is growing, but then they, they, they lay hands on new leaders and new people from the body step up and embrace the calling God has put on their life. That after this, it says in verse 7, then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Not just multiplied, which is said over and over and over, but has multiplied greatly. And even the, 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 the Jewish priests are coming to salvation in Christ. Man, that's amazing what God is doing, not through apostles and prophets and preachers, but also through the men and women he called out of his body. Well, men here. All right? So let's go ahead and move on. Let's look at verses 8 through 15 now. Let's learn a little bit more about Stephen. We're going to be looking at Stephen even into next week. Okay, so we're not going to get the full story tonight. Verses 8 through 15. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia and Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Man, that's already starts getting good, but we're going to have to cut it off right there. Okay, y'all have to come back next week for the rest of the story. Or, you know, you can read it yourself, either way. Um, but it's interesting. Stephen, this guy called out from the body. He's a man. He's an amazing example of God's power and God's grace. Now, why do I say that? Because Stephen goes from zero to 60 in, like, three seconds. There is no Stephen. And then there's a Stephen. Oh, and he's great in signs and wonders. Oh, and many people are coming to Christ. And so much that the Pharisees and Sadducees are arguing with him and cannot overcome his wisdom. And now they're trying to kill him. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Who else does that sound like? The apostles. Happened pretty quick. Now, we don't know Stephen's background. But there it is. Right? So we have a little Jesus Jr. on the streets, which, strangely enough, is what we're all called to be. And it's a perfect example, in my opinion, how a group of people, literally a group of people, can change a nation. Now, that might, yeah, yeah, okay, that sounds really good. No, literally. K.G. Eso, founder of Soul Winners India. Haven't got to meet him. He just passed away just recently, but I've met his Son, Shaju, he stayed with us here for two weeks uh, for Aim for the World. Sh- uh, KG Issa was from the southern tip of India. All kinds of Christians in the southern tip of India. He worked for the government. He went to the northern, which is the p- like 80% of India is the northern region. And as he's working for the government, going door to door, province to province, state to state, doing uh, what do you call them, poll, census, whatever, yeah. And as he's going around, he's saying, where are the Christians? People are going, what? The Christians, where are the Christians? What are you talking about? Where are the churches? Crickets, crickets. You know, Jesus. No idea. No idea. So as he's going door to door, he begins to pray for people. That's all he does. He prays for them, doesn't preach to them. He knocks, he prays, he leaves. God answers their prayers. They come find him. What God did you pray to? Because this, this situation in our life was unresolved X amount of years, X amount of months, and your God answered it. People started getting saved. Fast forward about two years. Now he's setting up a, a, a like a P.O. box type of deal. And he's, he's got people around him and they're all going out and they're praying for people. People are getting healed. Miracles are happening in India. Our churches are starting to be planted and now they have this, this mailbox where mail is coming in where people are asking questions. They're asking about their God. Fast forward 25 years. Soul Winners India is the largest ministry, I believe, in India. They have multiple Bible schools around the northern states of India. They have well over 500 pastors. In 2014, 500 pastors met 500,000 people with the gospel. Over 100,000 people got saved. Over 12,000 people were baptized. And when he got to northern India, nobody knew what a Christian was. And now his sons are continuing his ministry. I have his book. Patience has his book if anybody wants to read it. It's very interesting from what I hear because I've never read it but <laughs> I know his story, so it's a little different. But Stephen here, like KG, is a perfect example how a handful of people can literally change a nation. How from many people coming, from even the priests becoming Christians, now the gospel's multiplying. It's not just adding, it's multiplying. It's a perfect example of how one man can turn his town, his situa- the, the environment around him, upside down for Jesus. Or even the leaders are coming now to hear and dispute the message of this man, Stephen. So what is it about Stephen? What is it from this man that we need to glean and learn from? That's really the question, right? And I told you there's four things we're going to talk about tonight, but it it all is summed up in this. The one thing that I see about Stephen in his life, and we'll see it more as we go on through the scriptures next week, is that in everything that Stephen did, in my opinion, you know what his first and foremost thought was, what his purpose, at least what he felt his purpose was? To honor and glorify God. Not just as a byproduct of his life, not just as an addition to, not just... In convenient timing, but the purpose, the value, and the priority of his life was honoring Christ in every situation that he had. Now, my definition of revival is that the reawakening of religious fervor that we need is to be reawakened to the idea that in everything we do, we should seek to honor and glorify God. How many times is, well, do you hear this? Well, you know, can I do this? Will God still love me? Or, you know, is this is this sin? Can I get away with this? Or, you know, how far over here until you cross the line? Like, you know... In fact, Hagen shared a video uh, today of uh, Clayton Jennings answering a question: "Are tattoos a sin?" Which I didn't think he did a very good job of answering. By the way, um, video is all right, but that's always that's always the thing, isn't it? How many people do, do walk up to you and say, "Hey, if we go do this, do you think we'll glorify God?" How many people ask you that question? Ah, there we go. No, I'm just kidding. That's cool, I'll take that. Um, My point is, that doesn't happen. People primarily are not worried about honoring and glorifying Christ. They're worried about how much can I get away with and still be good. Man, what a selfish, selfish, fleshly thought process. Man, not to say I've never done it or that I don't still do it from time to time, but I hate it you that. But Stephen, you know, like I said, Stephen wasn't an apostle, okay? You know what that means? That means he probably had a life. He probably had a job. He probably, maybe could have even had a family. Maybe he was married. Maybe he had kids. We don't know. I don't think he woke up in the morning and spent this whole day distributing goods to widows. I think he did that after or at some point. But obviously, somewhere in his day, rather during work, after work, on the side of his service, he's also proclaiming Jesus to his neighbors. Out in the open somewhere where these people are arguing with him. And so we see that his focus was glorifying Christ. And yet he served as a deacon. But here's something else. This is not, we're not going to get too far into this, but I want this to be a sticky note in your head. S- Christian service is not a replacement for following Jesus. Christian service is not a replacement for following Jesus. Serving at the church, being a part of a nonprofit, donating X amount of money. If you do that, praise God, do it to the glory of God. You will be rewarded eternally. if that's your end-all, be-all, I did my part, it is not a replacement for following Jesus. Yes, Stephen was a deacon. Yes, he served widows. He also met people in the streets with the love of God. He also prayed and they saw signs and wonders. He also disputed the truth with those who did not know it. So in everything Stephen did, he sought to honor God, and because of that, God honored him, right? And there's plenty of verses for that. I didn't write them down for you. But here's here's the thing. God has two desires for you, primarily. Two desires. You want to know what God's two desires for you are? Glorify him, bear fruit. Simple. Don't believe me? Read the New Testament. It doesn't take that long. Glorify God, bear fruit. That is God's desire for you. And with it comes all of his blessings, too. It's not a one-way street, man. God is good. So how do we do that? Check this out. Before we get into the real meat, I want you to think about your own lives. God wants you to glorify him and bear fruit. How much of our life how many of our days do we miss out on that because we're walking around with a bad attitude? <coughs> Everything sucks. You don't like your coworkers. That one girl at work is mean, you know? You don't like her nail color or something? I don't know. I don't know what girl's brood about. I don't know. Right? The girls are like <laughs> You know? You didn't get the raise you wanted last week? Your job's not good enough. Guess what, every every job sucks sometimes, except for mine, my job is awesome. Other than that, every other job I've ever had sucked at some point, right? <laughs> um, so we have bad attitudes, your job's not good enough, the house isn't nice enough, you know? Don't make enough money, ooh. Don't have good enough friends, Ex- whatever. There are these things that we, we walk around and we grumble and we moan about as if God's grace wasn't sufficient, you know? I wonder, I wonder how much time Stephen walked around the streets grumbling about the widows he was serving. How often do you think he was whining about whatever job he had? Do you think he complained about how mean the apostles were? I don't think he had time, honestly. I think he was too focused. I think he was too too busy praising God that he didn't have time to whine against him for foolish things. Because if you're a miserable person, you get a new job, you're still gonna be miserable. If you have a horrible attitude and you move to a new place, you're still gonna have a horrible attitude. You might be excited for a month or two months or three months and then what, right? Stephen was consumed with glorifying God. And so we all come, we all come to the Lord, we all come to church, you all, whatever you're doing in your life, to get touched by the Lord, to be healed by the Lord. But then we do this, it's crazy, we do this, we come to church to find Jesus, and then once we find Jesus, we build our lives around the relationship with the church, and a worship schedule, rather than a relationship with the Spirit that came from Christ. Does that make sense? Do I need to say that again? I can. So we come, we get touched, we get saved, and then we build our lives around a worship environment rather than building our lives around the worship of the God who has called us friend. And because of that, we end up dry. Sooner or later, end up dry. This is why we don't see masses of people coming to salvation. We don't see churches rapidly growing. That's why we don't have new friends and new relationships. We're not bringing new people into our homes, inviting them out to lunch, right? We don't feel like we have a a personal purpose. We don't have a personal message in our heart that God has given you for that day or for that week. But Jesus, the apostle Stephen, They built their lives around a connection with the Holy Spirit of God that has been given to everyone who believes. And they built themselves up around that. The worship schedule, the church friends, the service came out of that relationship. That relationship does not come out of those things if you're not pursuing it. Does that make sense? We need to have this revival in our hearts. It's what we need. To allow God to redo that action he did before in us that gave us passion, that gave us purpose. We need to have that revival in our churches and our nations, but it's gotta start here. It's gotta start with you. It's gotta start with me. Right, I've got a sticker on my Bible that says revival. It's not for y'all. It's not for them over there, it's for me. Somebody ask how. Say how. How the heck do we do that? There we go. Look at that. Here's how. You make honoring the Lord your number one priority. And you do that through four ways. Okay? First way is this, knowing the word. Okay? You have to know the word. Stephen obviously knew the word because he was arguing with teachers of the word. Second Timothy three sixteen through 17 says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and guess what? For instruction and in righteousness, right? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work. I love that. I pray for that. I don't want to be the dude who preaches. I want to be the guy who's equipped for every good work. That's just personal. That's just me, right? What does righteousness mean? It says that it's good for instruction and in righteousness. Righteousness is, means being in right standing, in right standing with God, in right standing with others, in right standing in your situation and circumstances. And the word of God is God-breathed and profitable for that and to make you equipped, the word of God. Joshua 1.8. I just read this the other morning. <coughs> the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. What does that mean? What does that imply? He didn't say it shouldn't depart from yours. Depart from where? Your mouth. It means we've got to be sharing it. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it. Day and night, day and night, that you may observe to do, to do according to all that is written in it. For then, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. When the word of God is on your lips. When in the morning and in the evening you're still trying to understand it. And when you're doing those things in which God has told you to do. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man cleanse his way? Good Lord, that's a question we need. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to God's word? The first thing is, guys, we got to know it. We got to know it for yourself. You know what I hate more than anything? It's having a biblical conversation with somebody and them saying, well, my pastor said... And my pastor told me this. Oh, and I heard on the radio this. That's good. Do you know where that's at? Have you ever looked it up to read it yourself? Are you sure it's in there? That's not good. Okay? And you know what? You know why I don't feel bad saying that? Because that was me most of my life until like four years ago. That's it, four years. Right, before that? Well, before that I was just dumb, I don't know what to say, but we have to know the word. But we also have to believe the promises that God has given us. Acts 16.31 says, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and then you will be saved, you and your family. But you have to believe and you have to believe for yourself. Hebrews 11:6 But without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you believe that? Do you believe god's word that if you diligently seek him he will reward you? Because if you're not going to god and getting rewarded for it you do not believe it. Right? And if, if you get smacked by one of, those, one of these verses, just know that, you know, my cheeks stay a little red sometimes from that, okay? Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, his son, who he had received the promises, uh, had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding, that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. He believed God's promise so much that when God said, go offer your son as a sacrifice, he made his son carry the wood of his own death, got him up there, tied him up, laid him on the wolf, and was about to stab him. And God stopped him and says, now I know that you fear me. Why would it why did Abraham why was Abraham willing to kill his own son for God? Why? Because he knew God's word stands and that if he'd given him a promise, his son would have to even come back from the dead. That is crazy. And so he did receive him back from the dead, the word says why? Because he had already counted his son as dead on the way up that hill. Crazy. Crazy faith. If anybody, if you feel a voice telling you to kill your children, please come talk to me first, though. Um, <laughs> please, <coughs> Hebrews eleven fifteen through sixteen, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Do you want God to, to stand unashamed, knowing that you call him your God? Because he's talking about his people, his children of Israel, who at any time could have turned around and went home. You know, they, you know the, the children of Israel, they walked in circles in the wilderness for 40 years. Should have taken them like two, like that's it. Like they could have went back to their old life whenever. And all through the scriptures, if you look at it, they could, Abraham, I mean, he already kind of messed up. We'll talk, you know, that's a different story. He could have went home. But they knew that God's promises was better, were better than what they could achieve. Do you believe that God's promises for you are better than what you will achieve doing it your own way? Because you have to. You have to. The third thing, knowing the Holy Spirit. John 3, 2 through 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What was Stephen doing? Signs and wonders. Why? Because God was with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. We've got to receive the Spirit. And then we have to build a relationship with Him. Romans 8, 5 through 6, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally, that means fleshly-minded, is death. But to be spiritually-minded is life and peace. Um, I'm just going to paraphrase the next one because it's a little long. So in Acts 4, 29 through 21, they're being threatened and they go into a room of prayer and they say, Lord, hear their threats and empower us by your spirit with boldness to proclaim your message and to stretch out your hands to heal and do signs and wonders. And the whole room is shaken and they're filled, it says they're filled again with the spirit. Did, Did he leave? No, he didn't leave. But they were given a new, a new passion, a new power, a new fervent heart by God because they called out and asked for it. And then 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. God has given everybody in this room a gift to be used for his glory. Maybe you're not really sure what that is yet. But guess what? There are things you're good at, maybe that you enjoy doing, that can benefit others, even if you don't benefit at all for it. Stir that up and use it for the glory of God. Paul had to even tell Timothy, stir it up, man. Get off the dang couch. Stir it up. I pray that all the time. You know, I don't pray for Jesus to, for the Holy Spirit to come down because he's already here. But I do ask God, stir that spirit up. You know, like, quickly, please. <laughs> like, now would be good. <laughs> Just saying. Finally, the fourth thing. These last three things, knowing the word, right? Believing the promises, knowing, growing, being filled with the spirit. That's the butane in the lighter. Okay. That's getting you filled. The spark, that thing that causes the flame, is obedience. But the fourth thing of having a, a heart of revival is not just obedience. It is advancing in obedience. So check this out. I'll explain that in just a second. James 2, 14 through 17. What does it profit, my brethren, if somebody says that he has faith? but does not have works, can faith save him? Basically what he's saying, is, is that real faith? Is what he's saying? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, but you say to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you don't give them the things they need for their body, what good is that? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Romans 1.5 says that through him being Christ, through Christ, we, we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith among all the nations. So what's the outcome of true faith? Obedience. Obedience. Finally, 1 Corinthians 15.58. So the last verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, but here's the thing it's not enough to know, you have to do. It's not enough to know. What did James say? If you know they're hungry and they're naked, and you say, hey, be blessed. They're still hungry and naked. You did not help that situation. God has called us to obedience, right? Not to know, but to do. Not just to come up to receive, and to receive, to receive, to receive, but also to come with something to give. And if you are receiving, receive in a way so that you have something you can go out and give. If If that's the only thing you get from tonight, is showing up to church with something to give to someone else, and when you hear a sermon, take something home to give to someone else, your whole life will change if you do that one thing. I know, because that's how it started for me. Going to give, not to receive. Obedience is the spark of revival. And we have to be advancing in that. Okay, you're reading the word every day now. Good for you. Obedience. Check mark. Whoop, whoop. What's what's it telling you to do? Do that. Oh, you're doing that? Great. What's God telling you today? Oh, great. Oh, you're at the gas station? You're pumping your car up? There's some dude over there? God's telling you to do what? Oh, go do that. Advancing in obedience. Why are you reading the Bible every day? Why? To know stuff? That's not no. To know the Lord. And to know what is the path that he wants you to take. We don't honor God with our knowledge. We have to honor him with the fruits of our lips and the offering of our life. So in conclusion, this man, Stephen, he was a man who knew the word. He believed the promise of God. He knew the Holy Spirit. He was doing signs and wonders for the people. He was given such wisdom that the teachers could not overcome him. And he advanced in obedience, not only as a deacon, not only in serving the Great Commission, but as he birthed the wave of salvation over a city. And when no one else stood with him, when he was brought in, by the council and he's standing there and they're beginning to look to persecute this man they're bringing false threats against him right verse 15 and all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel why is that important because of nothing else it tells us that even though no one else was there for him he was there alone Because he was honoring God, God showed up in that room and honored him. And his face literally shone like an angel before his accusers. And we're going to read to see what happens in the rest of the story. But we're here tonight, and we're in a very common situation. And it's a situation where some of us need to repent. And we need to turn away from however we're living our life and follow the Lord in a deeper manner. Some of us need to stir up what God has already given us and be reminded of, man, the purpose he's given you as a son of God. Some of us need to push forward in what we're doing and not fall back. But we all need to pursue revival, all of us. And you need to pursue it here. Because if you pursue it here, if God puts a flame here, people around you will start to catch it. And that is how a nation and how a church, how a city is revived. Let's pray. If you if you want to pray, if you want to ask God to give you a heart of revival, if you need to repent, if you need to be stirred up, if you want to push forward, stand with me and let's pray for that right now. <sighs> Father God, I thank you so much for this night, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Lord, I thank you that you came. and, uh, Father God, that it's your message, Lord, that we're just speaker boxes and we're just ears to hear. But Father, that you speak all things for our good. All things for your own glory. And so I pray tonight, Father, with everybody in this room, Lord, I pray that you would just you would prune out those things that are separating me from you. Lord, give me a better focus. Father, give me a more determined heart to know you. Lord, show me how to, to, to spend more time with you. Show me what it means to hear your voice in prayer. Lord, show me how to pray more fervently. Father God, just, Lord, this week, give me the boldness to do those things which you've called me to do before, and I've been too afraid to do or to say. Lord, give us new relationships, Father. Build your kingdom, and let us simply be joyfully, joyfully obedient children. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.